Let's hear now from the word of God in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And just as the disciples saw your glory and believed in you, we pray that this morning we would see your glory and that we would believe in you. God, may our faith grow as we dive into your word, see who you are, see what you do. I pray that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding that has run out of food or drinks, but I know that in our wedding planning process, one of the reasons that we asked for RSVPs from people is because we wanted to make sure that there was enough food to go around. But in our culture, even if we were to run out of food or drink at a wedding, the worst that would happen to us is that probably a few people would be upset. They may mutter some words as they leave the wedding about how they're disappointed or uh, I can't believe that they would run out of food and and drink at a wedding. How embarrassing. Or maybe we would hear that they go and tell their friends that these people ran out of food and, and what a shame that is. Well, in the context of John 2, the risk was even higher. If you ran out of food and drink during a wedding ceremony in Cana, yeah, you would be shamed. But you would also open yourself up to being fined. And so not only would you be embarrassed because you didn't have enough money to provide more drinks, you would also have to find more money to pay the fine. So it would be basically adding insult to injury. And that's the situation that Jesus, a few of his disciples and his mom, find themselves in at the wedding that they went to. The wine has run out. The family is going to be ashamed and embarrassed, and they are going to be in deep financial trouble. And that sets the scene for the first sign that Jesus will perform. So from these verses, the main idea that we are going to see play out is this. Jesus manifests his glory and grows our faith. As we look at Jesus today, we see his care for the vulnerable. We see his power over the elements, and we see that he brings great joy. So whether you have known Jesus for years or You are just getting to know him for the first time. I want you to allow him to show you his glory in these verses. To ask him to grow your faith as I'm asking him to grow mine. The first truth that I want to highlight from the first few verses of John chapter 2 
is that Jesus is the one we obey. Jesus is the one we obey. When Jesus' mother Mary finds out about the fact that the wedding party has run out of wine, she goes to Jesus and she tells him what has happened. She knows that there's nothing that she can do about it, but she knows that her son is quite special. So maybe, maybe her son can do something to get more wine. And Jesus responds and he tells her that his hour has not yet come. He knew that God the Father had miracles prepared for him. He knew that his purpose in coming to earth was going to be fulfilled. But the work that God had for him to do, it needed to be on God's terms. He was not going to just perform a sign because his mom wanted him to. No, he was only going to perform the sign if God told him to do it. And after hearing Jesus tell her that his hour was not yet here, Mary puts the authority right back on Jesus and she simply tells the servants in verse 5, do whatever he tells you. Just do what Jesus says. And I think of this as if we were hosting a soccer camp, as we do, and coaching kids of how to pass and score and dribble the ball. And we coach with our limited knowledge, right? All of us have knowledge if we're there at soccer camp. We have some experience. And then imagine that a car pulls up and out of the car walks Xavi Hernandez. He's the, the coach for FC Barcelona. And as he gets out of the car, he says, hey, I was... I was in town, I heard about soccer camp, and I was wondering if I could come and help train the kids. All of us would be like, okay, kids, forget everything that I just told you. Forget everything that we just showed you how to do and listen to him. Do whatever Xavi tells you to do because he knows what he's talking about way more than any of us do. See, at that wedding, Mary doesn't know if Jesus will do anything, but he may. And if he does, Mary's like, you better be ready to obey Jesus. And this advice from Mary is the best advice that we could ever receive. Do whatever Jesus tells you. Because Jesus is the son of God. It was by him and for him that all things were created. Nothing exists apart from him. So wouldn't it make sense if we listened to and obeyed his every word? Imagine what life would be like if we obeyed when Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. If we obeyed when Jesus tells us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. If we forgave those who wrong us because God has forgiven us. If we confess our sin to our brother Or sister, when when we have sinned against them and we ask for their forgiveness. If we celebrate the gifts that God has given others and use the gifts that he has given us instead of living in constant comparison. Imagine what life would be like if we took Mary's advice. Do whatever he tells you. Family, the instructions of the Lord are not burdensome. They're not given to us to steal our joy and to take away our fun. It's quite the opposite. Following the instructions of the Lord is a delight that brings life and joy. After all, the one who created life, he knows how it works best.
After the servants hear the instruction from Mary to do whatever Jesus tells them, God the Father clearly led Jesus to do this sign because Jesus tells the servants, he says, go and fill the six jars with water. And they do as he tells them. They go fill the jars. And then Jesus tells them to take a cup, to dip it in the jar, to fill the cup, and to take it to the master of the feast. And again, they obey. And this is impressive because as far as the servants knew, they are bringing a cup of water to the master of the feast. Because they had filled the jar with water, and then they had dipped the cup in the water to fill the cup, and now they're carrying it to the master. And this is a huge risk because bringing a cup of water to the one in charge of the party when that person is expecting wine, well, we can understand why that does not seem like the best idea. But guess who the first ones to witness this miracle and to see Jesus's power were? Those very servants who obeyed him. Because as the master of the feast put the cup to his lips, he tasted the best wine he had tasted yet. He had no idea where it had come from, but the servants, they, they knew. Jesus had done it. And they had witnessed it firsthand because they obeyed him. And church, the best advice I could ever give you and the best advice that we could ever give each other is this. Do whatever he tells you. Because when we obey him, we see his glory and our faith grows. I think of a family who was part of our church before they moved out of the country who knew God was leading them to adopt. And this step of obedience to Jesus required a lot of faith. It required them to raise a lot of money and they had to fly across the country, but they knew that God was leading them to adopt. They obeyed and have been so blessed because God provided the funds. He brought them to the child that they had been praying for. He allowed them to be in the hospital as the baby was born. And now their child has a forever home with a family who is obsessed with him. And that's one of the countless stories that come to mind from our church, from your lives, about how Jesus is at work and how we are choosing to obey him. And it's my prayer that each of us would take this invitation to heart and obey. Just do whatever he tells you. Because as we do, we will see our God do great work and our faith will grow. Jesus is the one we obey. And we also learn from this story uh, another truth that I would encourage you to write down. Jesus is the one who brings purity. If you look back at verse six, you see that the jars that Jesus told the servants to fill were jars that were used for the Jewish rites of purification. That means that the water in these jars was used to purify the people of God so that they could participate in life in the community. The reason that they needed to be purified is because God had given them laws and instructions to live by, but they were unable to keep those laws and those instructions perfectly. And so they needed to be consistently purified. 
And the water in these jars was part of that purification. But water in that time was not the pure water that we drink today. There were not nice filters that filtered out all of the harmful bacteria in the water. So even the water that was used to purify people was not itself pure. But wine, on the other hand, was safe for the stomach because of the process that it goes through as it's being made. The harmful bacteria would not be present in the wine like it was in the water. And so it was common for people to drink wine instead of water, especially if they were having stomach issues because the wine was more pure and it was less harmful than water. So what does this have to do with the miracle that Jesus performs? Well, it's a symbol, a sign, as John says, showing us that Jesus came to take the old way of purification, the way that was incomplete and unable to fully, eternally cleanse a person, and he replaced it with a new way. In Cana, on that day, Jesus took impure water and he turned it into pure wine, but a few years later, on another day, this time in Jerusalem, Jesus will tell his disciples as they're drinking wine, he'll say, this wine represents my blood. And a few days after that, this time outside of Jerusalem, Jesus's pure blood was shed on the cross so that all who trust in him will be made pure forever. So make no mistake, yes, Jesus turned real water into real wine. But that miracle, as John himself writes, was a sign. It was pointing us to something even greater, to the moment when Jesus's blood was shed. The old system of purification that had to be repeated over and over and over again would be replaced with a new way, the cross. See, Jesus's blood shed makes all who trust in him pure. Jesus died once and for all. He does not need to be crucified over and over again because his work was final and it was complete. And purifying some drinks at a wedding is great, but purifying sinners on a cross is so much greater. See, Jesus is the one who brings purity. And if you're wanting to receive that purity this morning, if you want your sins to be forgiven, and if you want to stand before God as his pure child, you can make the decision now to trust in Jesus. Just as the master of the feast took the cup and drank it, Jesus invites you to come to him in faith. He did the work. He changed the water to wine already. So drink it. He died for your sins and he did the work to make you pure already. So receive it. Trust in him. And for all of us who trust in Jesus, may this be a huge encouragement to us that Jesus has made you pure. Yes, we will sin. At times we still disobey God, but we believe that Jesus died for those sins. We believe that he was buried and that he rose from the dead. And so now when we sin, we know that we have an advocate. Jesus is the one who has completed 
the work. And when we sin, now the Father looks at Jesus and he says, you paid for that. They are forgiven. Church, what a blessing. That Jesus has made us pure. We can rejoice and we can rest in that truth. And the result of knowing and resting in that truth that we have been made pure by Jesus is joy. It's the final main truth that we can write down is that Jesus is the one who brings joy. At the wedding feast that day in Cana, wine meant joy. It meant that the party continued, the celebrations carried on. And so when the wine ran out, there was a very real risk that the party could end, that the joy could stop. So what does Jesus do? Does he say, oh, oh, good, finally I can go home. I was over this party anyway, not having any fun. I've been waiting for the wine to run out. So finally I'm gone. No, he doesn't say that. Instead, he makes more wine so that the party can continue. And so if, if anyone tells you that, that Jesus came to just steal all the joy from your life, to, to take all of the fun away, show them this story. Because that is simply not true. Jesus is the life of the party. He loves celebration. He loves joy. And as the master calls the groom, listen again to what he says in verse 10. Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So Jesus did not just keep the party going. He made the party better. So make no mistake, Jesus likes joy. He likes fun. And while this is a, a true story that, that certainly happened, and while Jesus continued to enjoy this party with his disciples and with his mom, it's also a sign that points to a deeper truth. The truth is that there's a great contrast between the apparent joy that the world offers and the true joy that Jesus offers. So the master said that usually the good wine gets served first and then it gets progressively worse and worse because people care less and less as the time goes on. But isn't the same true when it comes to the apparent joy that the world offers? They make it seem so good at the beginning and then it gets worse and worse. Like if you sign up for this credit card, right? You get a huge sign-on bonus, you get all of these points, but then if you don't have control over your spending, you end up being a slave to that card and a slave to the debt that lives on it. It seemed good, but then it got worse and worse. We see it with extramarital affairs. It seems fine. It seems great at the beginning. Oh, it's, it's going great. But then the consequences are devastating. We see it with shady business practices. You're making tons of money and you think that you're going to get away with it, but then it catches up to you. With lying, you, you lie once and oh, we're good. But then you have to keep lying and keep lying to continue the story. And I could go on and on, but one of the 
deceptive tactics of the devil and of the world is the sin is not that bad. In fact, many times it seems like the messaging that we hear is that sin will actually be what brings you joy. And that God and, and the Christians, all they want to do is steal your joy, take away your fun. And maybe sin will be enjoyable at the beginning. Maybe everything will seem good for a bit. But sin is like the wine at this party. It will run out and it will leave you empty. It will take from you the very thing that it promised to give you joy and life and purpose and you will be left empty. Not so with Jesus. See, in direct contrast to sin, the joy that Jesus gives is ever increasing and it is true joy. We experience joy the first day that we trust in Jesus. As we know, our sins have been forgiven. We are in relationship with God. We experience joy as we see the power of the Holy Spirit defeating sin in our lives that we thought that we would never be free from. We experience joy as we share the message of Jesus with others and we see them meet Jesus for the first time. And we experience joy when, when we share the message of Jesus with fellow Christians. And together we remember who our God is and what he has done. And make no mistake, we will experience the greatest of all joy on that final day as we enter into the full, perfect presence of God for all eternity. Our joy will be full because Jesus has saved the best for last. In these verses today, we have seen Jesus's glory on display. We have seen his power. And just as the disciples witnessed what he did and then believed in him, we have the opportunity to believe in him too. And when we make that decision to trust in Jesus, even though we have not seen him face to face, then we are given the immediate hope that one day we will. In his letter to Christians, John writes this in 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We have this hope, church. We will see Jesus. Our joy will be complete. And in that moment, our joy will be greater than anything we could ever imagine on this earth. So as we close, the question that you and I have to answer for ourselves is this. Where are we seeking to find joy? If you're looking for joy in the things of the world, if you are chasing the pleasures of sin because you think that it is there that you will find joy, beware. The pleasures of the world will fade. 
And even if they seem to stay strong throughout your entire life, well, what comes next? If you have not turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, then after this life, you will see Jesus face to face. And it will not be a joyful moment. It will be filled with mourning because you rejected him. And you will spend eternity apart from God, paying for your sins yourself. But if you will turn from your sins and trust in Jesus, you will quickly learn that real, lasting joy is found in him. It's found in the truth that your sins are forgiven, that you are a child of God. And even if this life is filled with difficulty and filled with pain, you have a hope that serves as an anchor for your soul. You belong to Jesus. And you are on a journey home to him. You will see him face to face and your joy will be made complete. This is the hope of every Christian. And this is why Jesus is the one that we obey. Because we know that Jesus is the only one who brings purity to a sinner's heart. The only one who brings joy to a sinner's soul. See, for us as followers of Jesus, when Jesus manifests his glory, our faith grows. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for for allowing Jesus to show us his glory. Lord, and as this this sign is, is powerful in itself, we thank you that this sign points to something so much greater, that Jesus would be able to purify us forever, that his blood would be shed, that his body would be broken so that our sins could be forgiven and that we could be in relationship with you, the living God. Lord, we pray that that truth would go deep into our hearts. Jesus, I pray for anyone who's listening to this who does not know you. I ask you to draw them to yourself. I pray, Lord, for all of us that we would seek to find our joy and our cleansing and our life in you. And that we would do as you say. Lord, that we we would find life in your name. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.